Well, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. My name is Lucas. I'm Lisa. And in today's video, we are exploring the resurrection and we have some exciting news. Stay tuned. We have some exciting news to share with you. If you were watching Tuesday's BC COVID briefing, then you'll know that we are entering our Restart BC phases, which means that we are very excited that church is going to be resuming in person soon. Very soon, yeah. Now we don't have uh, dates or many details at this point. They are being finalized with the provincial government, but we want you to know that as soon as we know, you will know, and we are just so excited to be able to dream for the future, to hope for the future. And as, as we do that, um, it, you know, it takes, it takes everyone to pull off uh, gathering together in a meaningful way and, and in a way that creates safe places. And so in the days to come, you will be hearing from us and uh, we are going to be rostering all of our volunteer teams and kind of looking to the future in that respect. However, uh, Pastor Marcus, Lisa, and myself, we are going to be taking some family time in June. And so we're going to be staggering a little bit of vacation time so we can kind of re-engage with our families yeah. and, and re-engage with Jesus uh, just for a season. And then we will be back at it, ready to go uh, near the end of June, going into July. Ready to do this sprint of gathering together with you. We're so excited. Well, one thing that Dr. Bunny Henry said in the briefing, uh, I think a little bit as a joke, was that she was looking forward to having a hug day. And you know that I've said this before, one thing that my introverted self has actually missed is hugging people. And so we wanna know uh, who your first hug is gonna be, but not in a traditional well, way. Well, you, you, you can do your first hug, but then we're gonna challenge you to do something yeah. a little bit different. I don't know if you've seen these memes online that say, you know, uh, you have to live here for a year and it's just like beautiful place, but you have to live there with at your second, and that's at, and then whoever, the second person that shows up in that tag scenario. So we're gonna ask the question right here, who's gonna be the person other than family uh, that you're gonna give your first hug to? So why don't you add and, and just add your second and let them know that uh, they're gonna be getting a hug uh, come, I don't know, July, August. Whenever we're allowed. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing that. It'll be fun to see who your hug has to be because there your second at. Uh, but right now we're going to pass it over to Pastor Marcus as he finishes up this section that we've been walking through in John chapter 5. Well, good morning, friends. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Marcus. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel. And I want to ask you maybe a little bit of an uncomfortable question as we start. What was the last, when was the last time that you put off a difficult conversation? I know maybe even as I'm saying this right now, you're feeling that like visceral response within you where you're conjuring that memory of that conversation that you held off on, that you delayed because it was maybe awkward or uncomfortable or was demanding of a specific resolution. So you just decided to put it off. Well, it can be really easy to do that. 
Um, I think I can, I, I know for me, I can look back and think of so many moments in my life where I just didn't quite have that conversation in the time that I maybe should have. And for some, for some people and, and in some moments, it might be for a good reason. You know, you want to make sure that you gain perspective, uh, maybe of the other person or just of the conversation around you. Maybe it's that you want to make sure that your head is in a good space to talk and so is theirs. Maybe it's you need to like de-escalate some emotions in order to have like a productive conversation. But I think that we all have been there at least once in our lives. Now you might be thinking like, thank you so much uh, for that moment of unease. There's nothing like that at 9 a.m. in the morning. But what does this have to do with our Gospel of John series? Well, there comes a point in time when you, when you preach through a, a book of the Bible where you come to moments where you have to kind of have those conversations about difficult concepts that are maybe not easy to explain. And so we, this is part of the reason actually why we like to do what's called expository sermons here, going verse by verse uh, through the Bible or in our context, a particular book of the Bible, this series, because it forces us and kind of encourages you uh, to speak about some of the hard topics because when you get there, you can't just flip over it. And so we're kind of at one of those moments today. And that's kind of one of the benefits and both the blessings and maybe the challenges of expository preaching rather than topical preaching, which is you have a topic, you find scripture, you talk about it. Um, so I feel like we're kind of at one of those moments today because today we're going to be talking about the resurrection, uh, but also particularly the judgment that comes with that at the end of time when Jesus returns. When we hear the word resurrection and judgment sometimes together, it can sometimes maybe cause a little bit of feeling of unease that that same kind of visceral response that I just uh, that you maybe just had as I was talking about that question that I asked you is now kind of coming back up again or it maybe never left. But I want to say that uh, Jesus never shied away from these conversations himself. And, and I think that even when, when we look at the life and the person of Jesus, that even in these difficult conversations that are sometimes hard to talk about, that there is hope. There's hope in these conversations. There's hope in these passages of scripture for us today. And so today we're going to be jumping in. So are you ready? Are you ready to jump in together? Well, as we unpack God's word today, we're going to be reading from John chapter 5, verses 24 to 29. So I'll give you a moment to turn there. And while you do that, we're going to pray together. God, thank you so much for your word and that there are hard topics of conversation that we sometimes find ourselves with. Because I think in these moments, it can spur us on to uh, wrestle through things and have uh, just a greater sense of knowledge of your word and who you are. And so, Holy Spirit, may my words be so quiet today. And may your voice and your wisdom speak so clearly to our hearts. And if anything that comes from my strength comes out of my mouth, may it just fall away from our ears. And that all that we are left with today is just the truth that you want to communicate to our hearts. We thank you and we love you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, if I'm being honest, I actually can't remember if there was a time where I have heard teaching in church about the final resurrection and judgment of humanity. Um, I, I was really racking my brains trying to figure out if there was a moment and I couldn't come up with one. Now, I heard about kind of the, the end of time, the resurrection, the judgment of all humanity in Bible college when I was being taught it, but it took me all the way there to kind of learn about it. And I had to ask myself, why is this true of my generation? Why is this true of, of what we have conversations about at church? When that's what we're eventually looking toward, you know, that, that moment where Jesus returns and, and brings that judgment, 
Why isn't this something that's often talked about in churches anymore? Anymore. Because there may be a group of people that are watching today that have heard about it. Um, because I think this topic was huge in movements of the past and in kind of decades before um, our time right now. Uh, where there was lots of teaching about this, where this was almost even the central message and urgency of those of uh, what people were preaching. You would hear the phrase, like, you don't want to get left behind. There's a movie and a book series all about that, um, that I wouldn't necessarily say is full of uh, really solid kind of theological truth, but is there anyways that we, we learned about uh, in our churches. And so I don't want to pick apart any particular movement or time in history. I don't think that's what the topic of conversation is about today. But I think that the topic of judgment and, and resurrection of humanity has often been presented in a way that has been coercive uh, or maybe even fear-based, where it's like you don't want to get left behind, but like not in a way that's like, yeah, you're right, I want to be with you, but like you don't want to get left behind. You know, there's a little bit of a difference there. And as we had these conversations and as we taught about uh, the resurrection and judgment in that type of way, I think as time went on, it didn't actually really begin to add anything productive to people's faith. In fact, I think it actually became a deterrent to people believing in Jesus because of the harsh fear that was kind of trying, uh, maybe not intentionally, but that was en ended up being caused as a result of our teaching on this. And so I think in churches, what happened was a pendulum was really strong. And as we began to see maybe some of the uh, consequences of that type of conversation and communication, that we, swang the we swung the pendulum, it's a hard word to say, we swung the pendulum to the far, far side, and we have basically just shied away from having that conversation now at all. And so I think I have a couple of observations, kind of of why this may be, uh, why this pendulum has persisted and stuck where it is even now. And these are just some of my thoughts. I think the topic of resurrection and judgment and when it will happen is not always black and white. I think it exists in far more shades of gray than we would like to admit. There are obvious distinctions, of course, and we will see this in our passage of who uh, will be judged and on what, but the timeline isn't really known. And in fact, even uh, we see later in scripture that it was actually withheld that time of when Jesus was coming was withheld from Jesus. That he was asked of that and he said, the time is not even known to me. And that was kind of uh, God's choice to, to delay that moment and to delay telling Jesus um, so that we, I think, maybe didn't like push for an answer so that uh, there was a mystery created there. And so it makes it hard to have like kind of neat and tidy lines of communication drawn in the sand when there are lots of shades of those gray. And I think it's hard to articulate things like the perfection of eternity in our finite and broken world. And so as a result of that, it can be kind of hard to figure it out. Lots of scripture that talks about that is full of imagery that can kind of be misconstrued. And so I think that uh, by doing so, we, we feel like we misconstrued or we can't quite communicate it in the way that we want. And so we just don't. And then I think we also talk uh, kind of shy away from talking about the judgment and resurrection because it demands a really specific response from us. The reality is it, it's almost like shouts at us, demanding a response. And that can sometimes feel a little bit um, scary or, or, or like exposing in some way. But I think when we look at the character of Jesus and what scripture is going to tell us today, that it doesn't need to be one of those like scary, uh, exposing moments. Because when I read this passage, keeping in mind that these words are coming from Jesus, 
the person who is full of grace and truth, that I think that when saying this word, when saying, when I hear him say these words, of course, yes, it still demands a response. But I think it isn't as much about doom and gloom and fear as maybe the past has made it to be. And so we're going to pack what Jesus is saying in this short teaching. We're going to start at verse 24. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. There's like a key phrase in this verse. It's, it's truly, truly. And in, if you're maybe reading another uh, translation, it might say verily, verily, or, or very truly I say to you, or, or something along those lines. But what this, this phrase is indicating is that Jesus is saying like, hey, listen up. Listen up, there's something that I want to tell you and it's important. And so it's almost like a clue for us to kind of perk our ears up and to pay attention to what's being said here. Because verse 24, I think, is actually really the framework in which we must read the rest of this passage. Because without it as our filter kind of before us of what we're reading, I think we can quickly kind of go astray and find ourselves down pathways that are maybe not even true for, for what scripture is trying to communicate. Because Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. It's simple, it's specific and concise. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. What he's saying is you don't attain salvation through doing good things or by being good because none of us could attain that perfection because we're all broken people. What Jesus is saying is the, the way to experience salvation and eternal life is by believing in Jesus, by having faith in him, period. Having that new life transform us. And so this verse is truly important because as we continue unpacking kind of the rest of this passage, we need to have this in the forefront of our mind because it helps us filter the rest of what's being said. But then Jesus actually has another truly, truly moment in this exact same passage that we're reading today. And so in this next one, Jesus is speaking about two groups of people. He's speaking about the dead and the living. When we look at this passage, we see that he's actually referencing two different types of death. He's referencing spiritual death and also, uh, and also those who are physically dead. And he starts first with those who are spiritually dead in verse 25 and 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Well, if you remember a short while ago, you would have heard it from Pastor Lucas. Uh, in this chapter, Jesus healed a man that was lame for his whole life, where he was trying to find this pool to heal him, and Jesus miraculously did so in a word. And although this miraculous healing was, was clearly and obviously a physical regeneration of this man's body, I think there was also a spiritual regeneration that happened as well. Because he believed in Jesus, he became a new creation, not just in his physical body, but in his spirit as he experienced eternal life in Jesus. And so it seems that Jesus is like threading kind of this thought and this um, kind of understanding throughout chapter five, as he talks about those who are also spiritually dead. But that term can be a little bit like vague or can kind of be like, you can kind of make the definition for yourself, but William Barclay comments really well on what this spiritual death actually is. He says to be spiritually dead is to have stopped trying. It's to have come to look on all faults as ineradicable and all virtues as unattainable. 
But the Christian life cannot stand still. It must either go on or slip back. And to stop trying is to therefore slip back to death. To be spiritually dead is to have stopped feeling. There are many people who at one time felt intensely in the face of the sin and the sorrow and the suffering of the world, but slowly they have become insensitive. They can look at evil and feel no indignation. They can look at sorrow and suffering and feel no answering sword of grief and pity pierce their heart. When compassion goes, the heart is dead. To be spiritually dead is to have stopped thinking. When a man's mind becomes so shut that it can accept no new truth, he is mentally and spiritually dead. The day when the desire to learn leaves us, the day when new truth, new methods, new thought becomes simply a disturbance with which we cannot be bothered, it is the day of our spiritual death. To be spiritually dead is to have stopped repenting. The day when a man can sin in peace is the day of his spiritual death. And it is easy for him to slip into that frame of mind. The first time we do a wrong thing, we do it with fear and regret. If we do it a second time, it's easier to do it. If we do it a third time, it's easier yet. If we go on doing it, the time comes when we scarcely give it a thought. To avoid spiritual death, a man must keep himself sensitive to sin by keeping himself sensitive to the presence of Jesus Christ. What a great comment. What a great explanation on what it means. What, what William Barclay is saying is that it can be easy for, for us to become those who are like spiritually the walking dead. We're almost we're like these, these automatrons that are spiritually dead inside, but yet our bodies are still working. But what Jesus' promise is, is that if you read that, if you hear that quote, and you identify with one of those things that make you spiritually dead, that his voice is louder than that spiritual death. That he is calling you back to him in this moment. And if you are feeling spiritually dead, if you read those and there's something that hitches in, in your like innermost being, whether you know Jesus or not, there is hope for you today. There's hope for you today. Hear his voice calling to you right now through his word and return to him. Because he's, he is calling. That's what his word does is it speaks to us and transforms us. And so we see that there are spiritually dead. But after this, Jesus kind of pivots pretty strongly. He stops talking about the present of those who are spiritually dead, but, but physically still alive. And he instead talks about eschatology, or the future end time when Jesus returns to earth again to execute final judgment on humanity and restore all things to new and perfect once again. Well, first in this passage, before he gets there, Jesus talks about his role and authority as judge, which God has given to him uh, to kind of execute on the earth. And part of this role is that he will judge humanity when he comes again. And we see what this looks like in verses 28 to 29. It says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. As I read this passage, I was feeling a lot of tension. I had a lot of questions that were coming up, and and Pastor Lucas and I kind of had to sit down and, and kind of parse some of these things out together. And we had a really great conversation about this passage because it's full of implications for the future and implications for the world and lots of theological understanding. Um, because there's a bit of a dichotomy in this passage. Jesus speaks to the timing of his return extremely vaguely. He just says an hour is coming. 
but he speaks to the actual end result of this judgment very clearly. Very clearly, he draws that line. But this passage can seem a little bit problematic that I just read, because doesn't it seem like, he, like Jesus just contradicted himself? Like he just said in verse 24 that the, the uh, way to experience eternal life is believing in him. But yet then he says later that those who do good go to the resurrection of life and those who do evil go to the resurrection of judgment. So like, how does that even piece together? Didn't he just contradict himself? But I think to understand this passage, we need to understand what salvation was and is both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Because think about it. In the Old Testament, there are thousands of years of history. And yet, it occurred all before Jesus' death and resurrection. So does that then mean that those people who existed before Jesus' death and resurrection somehow are judged differently because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet? So is that why there's that like division then? When we look at the Old Testament and how some of the authors, even of the New Testament, explain salvation, kind of overarching through history, we see that salvation, even in the Old Testament, was still by faith alone, in Christ alone. But how does this happen when they didn't have that, that revelation of Jesus on earth yet? Well, we know that the Trinity was working in the Old Testament. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all working uh, in creation, in the Old Testament, uh, throughout that history. So, so all of the Trinity has existed forever. And so it was there in that time as well. But Yahweh, which is God the Father, was revealed explicitly in the Old Testament. Not like necessarily like you're looking at me right now, but he revealed himself to his people explicitly. And so they had at least a person of the Trinity to, to, to be revealed to them and to know and to believe in. And so Jesus says in John 12, 44, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And then also in our passage in verse 24, there's a clue. It says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, which is God, has eternal life. And so we see that that belief in God in the Old Testament was what brought salvation because eventually they were believing in the Redeemer of Jesus Christ. And in the New Testament, belief in Jesus also meant that they believed in God. And so there's almost this like uh, ebb and flow or give and take of that. There's, there are two sides of the same coin. And we see that because uh, Jesus is the way to, to salvation, but believing in God is that same way of salvation because the Trinity, God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are unified. And so Jesus is salvific. Salvific just means like relating to salvation. His salvific act of his death on the cross doesn't just like happen at that moment and then extend forward, but it happens in that moment and extends both forward uh, into the rest of the New Testament, into where we are even today, but also all the way backward, all the way to the beginning of time. So Jesus' act is, it almost exists outside of time and it covers all of history all at once. Because what it did then is it brought completion to the old, those in the Old Testament who believed in Yahweh. And by extension, they believed and pined for and hoped for the coming Redeemer, who we later then learn is Jesus. Romans 4.3 says, What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. That's a quote from Genesis. So the Apostle Paul is reiterating what Jesus is saying in John 5, that faith in him is what brings salvation. Faith in Yahweh, God, 
in the Old Testament was what brought salvation because they are the same avenue, even if you happen to die before Jesus did on the cross. But then it asked an, I asked another question as I was reading this passage. What about those who had never had the opportunity to accept or reject Yahweh in the Old Testament or, and or Jesus in the New Testament because they had never heard of him? That there are people who probably, who have passed away that had never heard of Jesus before. What does that look like on the final judgment day? Because that can be a hard thing to wrestle with and I know I, know I had to wrestle with it too. Well, I think often the temptation as we talk about eschatology and that we see throughout history um, is to try and systematize all of the, the concepts of it and then really make dogmatic statements about these things. Where throughout all of history, we see that there's a debate whether we are pre-tribulation, where we're taken up to Jesus pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. Maybe you don't even know what that means. Or whether we try to strain together all these events to say this is the date in which Jesus is returning. Or we make statements on whether or not this people group or this person or this type of um, person is going to be in eternity. But the reality is when we look at scripture, it's much more vague and unclear than we'd like to think. That I actually don't know if we can make really dogmatic, distinct lines in the sand about everything. Because as we try to systematize these things, what we end up doing is just debating with each other over and over and over and never reaching a conclusion where we miss out on the central message of what we're actually talking about. And we do a disservice to what the main thing is. That Jesus is coming again. We don't know when, but he is. That he is our blessed assurance of salvation. That we should live then in such a way that is ready for his return. And that we will all be judged with God's mercy and his perfect justice. And those truths should propel us to mission and hope in the future no matter what our present situation is. Of course, there are moments and there are spaces and necessity for debate where we need to have those conversations and nail down some of those things. But let's remember that in all of that, no matter what we're doing in that, to keep the main thing the main thing. Let's remember that sometimes there is mystery to the workings of God that we actually can't explain the mechanics of. This is a part of the mystery of faith that we must journey in. The tension of knowing the mechanics of parts of faith and it being able to like systematize and explain them, but also the tension of the things that are left intentionally unclear in scripture and that we simply must have faith for. Well, today I don't wanna make a clear cut statement on the determination of people who haven't heard about Jesus because it is just one of those mysteries. It is just one of those mysteries. The reality is I don't know and scripture doesn't specifically tell us. But what I do know is this. I do know that Jesus deals justly and mercifully with us now and will also do that at the time of his judgment and second coming as well. That he is just, but he is also merciful. I know that Jesus' nature is unchanging and consistent in every way and in all things. I also know that when we look at this passage, it does beg a response from each of us today to either accept Jesus and experience the eternal life now, but also for eternity, or to reject him and experience separation from him, from his perfect presence, his goodness, his love and mercy. So will you embrace the mystery of parts of faith today? And when you're in the midst of that mystery, 
rest on the certainty of God's character and nature. Because when we find ourselves in that mystery, that is the anchor in which holds us and grounds us and continues to hold fast our faith. Well, as we wrap our time together, I want to encourage you to continue to wrestle with this passage. I know I have. I know I will. And this may be one of those pieces of scripture that I actually just wrestle with for the rest of my life. But I also want us to not lose sight today of the main thing of this passage that Jesus offers to everyone that whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. The word life here is zoe. This means not just physical life, but it means an abundant, productive, and full life that extends beyond what our body's life, our physical bodies, will, will carry and maintain. And so if you haven't made that decision to put your faith in Jesus today, as you hear this word, what will your response be? Like I said at the beginning of this message, don't have this be a difficult conversation that you put off for later. You can. But maybe today Jesus is calling to you and, that, and asking you, will you hear my voice? Because his resurrection power can live in you today when you put your trust in him. And he does this out of love for you. He doesn't do this to try and scare you into believing. That's not who Jesus is. That's not his character for you. And as much as this passage maybe creates tension, especially if you have someone in your life who doesn't know Jesus, I want to encourage you with this verse found in 2 Peter verse 3 to 9. Or 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friends, until he comes again, there is still hope for that friend, family, or loved one that doesn't yet know him and hasn't yet made that decision to follow him. There is still hope for them. There is still hope for you if you find yourself here today. But if we do believe in Jesus, if we do call ourselves believers today, I wonder if we need to recapture our drive to share about Jesus coming in again, coming again, but in a way that reveals Jesus's heart for humanity, but that also doesn't water down the response that eternity calling to us demands. May we do that in a way that doesn't cause fear and coercion, but may we do that in a way that showcases and just simply is a signpost that points to Jesus. And so let's not shy away from, from what is sometimes a difficult conversation. And I think sometimes when we are talking with believers and non-believers alike, one of the most freeing and productive and helpful things that we can say is, I don't know, is I don't know. And what that does is it lets us embrace the mystery of this moment as we journey with people. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are coming again for us, that you are somebody who is just and merciful, and that you have ways that are above our own, and that you would continue to be patient towards us, that we can continue uh, to, to spread your word and to spread your love to those around us. And, and God, if there are people here who are feeling that stirring in their heart, may they not put that off until later. We know that that could happen and that could be their choice, but God, may they choose to be bold and step into maybe a little bit of that mystery today as they journey uh, in exploring faith in you. And for those of us who are believers, may our words be seasoned with salt today. May we be people who ex 
express and showcase your love and care and grace and mercy for humanity, but also be people who are firm uh, on, on what is true. And that we wouldn't do it out of coercion or, or causing fear, but that we would do it out of an expression and abundance of love for people around us. And so God, may you continue to show us and reveal, ourselves, reveal yourself to us. And may we step into that mystery knowing that you are there with us. We love you and we thank you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Marcus, for that teaching, wrapping up John 5 and about the resurrection and really what's going to happen at the end of our time here on earth. Well, we have a few announcements for you as we wrap up today's service. And the first is that we have hashtag family time coming up on June 4th. And we are so excited to bring you these hashtag challenges. It's a great way to be together while we're apart. And like we said last week, we understand that family comes in all shapes and sizes. Maybe you do have little ones at home and your family time is gonna be a movie or an adventure or a board game. Well, maybe you have kids that are grown and your family time is gonna be a Zoom call or a coffee date. Or maybe family are the people that you choose. They are the friends that you've invited into your life and family time is gonna be spent with them. So on June the 4th, would you take a selfie or take a picture of whatever family time looks like for you sometime in that day and tag us in it with the hashtag family time. And you can just tag us at myevangel.church and we will add your pictures to our stories and celebrate family together. Well, I wanna say a huge thank you for your generosity and your faithfulness as we have weathered this COVID storm. And as we look at the light at the end of the tunnel, I just have to say an incredibly huge thank you. I know I've mentioned before that we've sat around our board table and just marveled at the faithfulness of God through the faithfulness of his people that we have been able to keep our staff on, the lights on, the ministries of Evangel going. We've been able to continue to support our missionaries in Canada and around the world, all because you have been faithful to say yes with your giving. And so today, if you wanna give, head on over to myevangel.church forward slash give, myevangel.church forward slash give for all of the ways that you can do it. And as always, we're right here until 12 o'clock today and we would love to say hi during drive through generosity. Thank you so much for being here with us. We will see you next Sunday. God bless.